to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. During these next several weeks, we're going to walk through this wonderful passage in Colossians. And I'm eager to walk through it with you. Let me remind you that as we come to this study that the Christians in Colossae uh, had all kinds of problems in their understanding of faith in Christ Jesus. Not that it happened that way originally, but ultimately the world had such a pull on them through the rituals, the ritualistic service uh, to deities which people practiced in their area that it was divisive and destructive to their faith. And so the Apostle Paul, after having heard from Epaphras, writes them this letter. And they're a wonderful group of people. And it's obvious that the Apostle Paul loves them. And there's so much in this about the sufficiency of Christ, the fact that what Jesus did on the cross was enough for us to have forgiveness of sin. There's a lot here about the resurrection of Christ. And of course, we're coming very close to Easter now. And there's a great deal of information in Colossians about how families ought to live together and how churches ought to operate. It's a very brief letter, but it is filled with information that's going to be helpful to us in our walk with the Lord Jesus. Now, I have struggled with coming up with a title for the message this evening. Actually, it's the message this morning and this evening since um, it is continuing now. Uh, perhaps if you were going to give it a title, it would be The Earthly Benefits of eternal life, the earthly benefits of eternal life. You know, when you fly, there's something you discover about uh, uh, airline companies. Really, they understand that the only thing that marks them out from any other airline country is the service that they, are, that they offer. After all, you're going to take off from the same location and you're going to end up at the same destination. So what distinguishes one airline from the other? Well, it's going to be what happens while you're in the air, hopefully while you're in the air. Um, you know, I mean, you can get, I was on an airline the other day, and you know, the stewardesses usually are so nice to you, and they say, you know, please, uh, when the airline comes to a close, that, uh, or comes to a stop, uh, that, uh, uh, well, hopefully it doesn't come to a close. But let me just say that as far as I'm concerned, and, and I'm a pilot, I have a pilot's license. I, as far as I'm concerned, they use all the wrong words. You know, we're on final. Um, to the terminal. We end up at the terminal. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound good, does it? But uh, anyway, when the flight comes to a close, the airline pulls up the ramp, uh, this stewardess uh, said, would you please be careful getting your stuff out of the overhead bins, and if you don't get it, it will be raffled off to the next group that gets on this airplane. And I thought, you know, that's a nice touch. Uh, I sure hope that if I leave something, it's not going to be raffled off. Probably would be. But the thing that distinguishes them is what? It's the service. What happens in between? Now, ironically, they have to really, you know, bend over backwards and, and break themselves. And some airlines have gone bankrupt in the, the war over service. That is, what kind of service? I mean, you can get everything with a cheap flight. The peanuts flight starts the same place, ends at the same destination. Or you can pay more and you can, you know, eat more food and fly uh, perhaps in a larger airplane with uh, more luxurious accommodations. Uh, but it's service. It's not destination. It's not the point of beginning, but it's a service in the air while you go. And uh, airlines, they bend over backwards, competing with each other over service. Who's going to offer the best service, the best food, the best accommodation, the most seating? You know, that's because they're in competition, and they want you to choose them over somebody else. Now, the interesting thing about the Christian life is that nobody else is going to get you to heaven. God's not competing with anybody to get you to heaven. 
But in spite of the fact that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and when your ultimate destination, that is heaven, is secured for you, the Lord doesn't just stop there. There are a lot of benefits. There are a lot of earthly benefits to being born again. Your life with Him starts the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. And there are so many wonderful things that are going to happen here on this earth that make knowing the Lord Jesus a blessing. We looked at some of them this morning. They just ooze out of the Apostle Paul's pen and his heart as he writes or as he speaks. He can scarcely take pen in hand without speaking in in glowing words about who God is and and what happens to believers in Christ Jesus. But we have already seen that he gives us a purpose for the future. He has a will for us. We've already seen that he gives us a place in the family. He's writing these to brothers, Timothy, our brother, to those of you who are brethren in Christ there at Colossae. So we have a place in the family, and we have power for the fight. Life is a battle, and we discover that God gives us the desire. So in that arena of battle, he gives us the desire. God gives us the ability, right desires, and the ability to accomplish them. We have power for the battle. But there are other benefits, and so we're going to continue looking at those this evening. Stand with me. Let's read the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up in heaven, by the way, that continues the thought of we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you. Why? Well, for your faith, for your love. And now he says in verse 5, for you may have a rendition that says because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now I want to end with that thought this evening. I know there's just a, a comma right there. And so I want to end right there. Actually, what follows the next several verses was to be my text for the message this evening, but we'll begin on that with that on Wednesday evening. It's a wonderful prayer, a power-packed prayer. And I hope you'll be here Wednesday evening at the 6.30 service for that. But we'll end with these words. For the hope, we give thanks for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Father, it is only by work of grace, by the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that any of this will mean anything that would change our lives, And, Father, that's our prayer, that this will not be a meaningless experience. We're here, Lord, um, for many reasons. All of them, Heavenly Father, I pray, pure and holy reasons. We're here to worship you primarily. That is the most holy, the most pure reason. We're here to fellowship with one another. Father, we rejoice that we have the privilege of fellowship with one another. We're here to learn from your word. And, Father, we are here to have our lives changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, as we have come here, our focus is upon you. We're trusting that you would minister to us, and we're trusting that at invitation time, somehow within us there would be an eagerness to respond to what you have shown us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Well, purpose for the future, a place in the family, power for the fight. What else is an earthly blessing that comes along, comes in the package with, is a side benefit of eternal life. I uh, remember Ralph Spees coming to the office one morning, and uh, he and his family had been off on a vacation. They'd been to motorhome just several years ago, and uh, 
they had been traveling through the night and finally up in the Ozark Mountains someplace. I don't remember exactly where it was, Ralph. I think it was someplace near Branson, Missouri. But they uh, pulled the motor home. Ralph was tired, and they pulled the motor home off to the side of the road, a little park there. And uh, they just, you know, had the shutters and shades closed and turned on the air conditioner, which uh, um, obviously we haven't got ours on for the uh, uh, summer yet because we didn't know it was going to be summer today. But they turned on the air conditioning in the motor home and, and uh, went to sleep. And when they woke up the next morning, they thought they were just at a roadside park. They had found the destination. It was going to allow them accommodations for the night. And uh, yet when they opened the curtains on the motorhome, they were parked over a beautiful vista, if I remember. Ralph said it was an absolutely, unbelievably beautiful mountain scene spread out at their feet before them. It was hardly eat breakfast just looking at the breathtaking sight out there. I've never forgotten him telling me that because that was just an unexpected blessing, just one of those things that God does for you, not because you deserve it. Uh, certainly, they're just looking for a place to go to sleep, never thinking this is such a beautiful place. Well, it's that way, I think, with the Christian life. It seems like every morning when I get up and raise the shades on my life, God has something new for me, something that's beautiful, something that's challenging, something that's going to help me grow in my faith, all these unexpected benefits to being born again. I mean, it's enough just to get to heaven. It's enough not to spend forever in hell, but just think, all these things that God gives us, and as I mentioned, purpose in life and a place in the family and power for the fight. Well, what else does he give us? A couple of more things that I want to mention to you. Uh, number four, if you're making a list of these, this is number four. He, he gives us the peace of the Father. The peace of the Father. Notice what he says here in verse 2. Grace be unto you, that's power for the fight, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, it's because of God working through Christ that we receive grace, but also God working through Christ brings peace to our lives. Now, let me take just a moment, because we live in such a, a troubled world. Let me take just a moment to help us understand about the peace of God and the peace from God and peace with God. I suppose if there is any one thing that people want, it would be peace. Uh, you've heard the statement, peace at any price. And yet it seems that that's something this world cannot get. I was interested in reading the statement of um, a championship golfer. In fact, Johnny Patton pointed this out to me in a magazine he was reading on an airplane yesterday of, of, of a golf champion who said, um, he said, we've got to wake up to the fact that, that, that the devil is in such operation in this world. This is Bernard Langer, who, if he wasn't a golfer, has said that I'd be an evangelist, he said. He said, but the, the devil is definitely controlling so many things in this world. He said, look at what's happened in the world, the wars, the divorces, the sex, the perversion, the broken hearts, the broken families. And, of course, here's a person, he goes on to say how God's the answer for all those. But we live in a world which has such trouble such a lack of peace. Uh, you go to your own home. Is it a place of peace? I, I would hope that it would be a place of peace and harmony. But did you know that is not the case in the majority of homes in America? In countries, there's such a turmoil, such a turmoil. In our own country, there's a lack of peace. Uh, several of our folks, I think... Uh, 
uh, well, Dub and Dorothy and, and Jeffersons and others, a few others, I think, from our church, just returned from Israel. Um, uh, well, there's, there's such a lack of, of peace there. I mean, the newspapers fill with what's happening there. And the irony is we live in such a sophisticated nation, there are probably about as many people killed in the United States every day as there are in these other countries that we read about. It's just not news here, it's news there. It's such a lack of peace. Think, think about it for a few moments. Uh, every key you have in your pocket is a testimony to the fact that we live in a, in a society of insecurity. Every key says man cannot be trusted. Every man that puts on a uniform, every woman that puts on a uniform, whether it's in the military or in the police, people whom I admire so much. We had a couple visit this morning, and I was going through our visitors' cards, and, and uh, down at the bottom, one of our visitors had written, and they may be back this evening. I don't know, but they had written this statement, pray for us. My, my husband, the wife said, is being, um, he, he's going to be on the USS Kitty Hawk, which is an a, um, aircraft carrier. And he's going to be out at sea for 16 months. And uh, so I just, I called just to say, you know, I'm praying for you. I, I just, that struck me as, as what, a, what a hard thing when you have a little three-year-old child and you already missed eight months by being in the Persian Gulf and now uh, another 16 months, you know, out at sea. But you see, everybody in the military, everybody in a uniform of law enforcement is there because we're trying to get what we don't have, peace. There's just a sense of trouble that, that, that just constantly is boiling in the world. But I want to tell you something. When you know Jesus Christ, in the midst of all this trouble, you can still have peace. I'll tell you, it is an amazing thing. The peace of God, I, I mean, it almost brings me to tears when, when, I, when I try to describe to people about the peace of God because I know in just the few troubles that I've had in my own life, you know those things you encounter that are moments, obstacles, troubles, griefs in your own life, I know that the peace of God, which has passed all understanding, has kept my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God in the midst of storms. As someone said that a king commissioned an artist to paint a picture of peace, and several artists came in with their renditions, and one of them uh, showed a serene lake, and he said, that's not it. And the other one showed beautiful mountains, and, you know, it was such a calm, it was not it. Another one, you know, a, 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 a scene of a pasture with sheep, you know. He said, that's not it. And finally, one brought in a picture of a waterfall. I mean, you, you could almost hear the, the cataracts as they, you know, the, you could see it, the spray from the stones, and the water would drop and splash, and... And somebody said, uh, man, that's not going to have a chance. If he didn't like the others, he won't like that. And the king chose it. He said, that's peace. It really wasn't the waterfall that caught his attention, however. It was that in a, a little fork in the branch of a tree hanging out of the waterfall, there was a bird's nest, and in it, a bird, just as serene as could be. He said, that's peace. We're not going to be able to get away from the storms, folks. So if we're going to have peace in our heart, we have got to come to some other source. We've got to come at it from some other direction. You will never get enough peace and quiet in your neighborhood or in your city or in your country. It's never going to be that way. You can try to make it that way. You can run from all the problems, but something is going to happen that's going to disturb your peace if your peace comes from the externals. So how are we going to get peace? We're going to have to come at it from a different direction. It's going to have to be from God's direction.
Now, there are two kinds of peace that I, I want to speak to you about here just briefly. First of all, it's, it's what I want to call peace with God. You see, the first big war that you're going to have to get settled in your life is the war between you and God. Do young people realize that every person who is not a Christian is at war with God? Do you realize that? The Bible says that to be friends of the world is to be at enmity, be God's enemy, to be God's enemy. And so every person who is not a believer in Christ is at war with God. A sin is rebellion against God. It's saying, I'm going to do it my own way. And so the only way you're going to have peace in the first place is to get peace with God. The one who's running the show, you've got to make peace with him. You've got to solve the war that rages in your heart against God. And of course, he says, the peace of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come to this earth so you could have peace with God? The Apostle Paul said, I pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And so what happens when you come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, receiving what he did on the cross of Calvary, dying for sin as death for your sin, you are reconciled to God. Christ suffered once for all the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He became sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be what? We might receive, we might be made, we might have the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We might be reconciled with God. Now, let me just tell you something, folks. Some of you in this audience, this congregation tonight, in the area of peace, you're trying to get peace and you're fighting a losing battle, especially if you are struggling to have peace with someone else who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Because a person who is at war with God, no matter what you bring to the table, will not accept it as enough, will not accept it as that which is going to bring peace. They've got another battle going on. They've got another agenda. And you can't expect people who are at war with God, listen to this, to act like people who are at peace with themselves. They're not going to. They're in a war. There is within them that which is rising up against God, rising against everything that he says. God will not be my authority. The Bible will not be the authority. I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it my way. And if you come to them and try to make peace with them on terms that require God's working in their lives, it's not going to happen until they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you probably have some um, expectations of them which they're never going to be able to fulfill. You may be expecting unsaved people to act like saved people, and unsaved people do not act like saved people. You might be expecting an unsaved person to have the same desires, the same wishes, the same dreams, the same ambitions. Unsaved people don't have the same ones that saved people do. And so it's important for you to understand with whom you are dealing when you're trying to bring peace in a situation. Maybe it's in reconciliation of your home. Maybe it's in job. Maybe it's at work, trying to bring peace there. You've got to realize what arena you are working in. Now, it doesn't mean God can't intervene, but what it does mean, you need to realize that it's unrealistic to expect save, uh, lost people to act like saved people and lost people to want what saved people want. And so if you're trying to, be, uh, trying to bring peace by forcing your way or forcing your will and saying, you will too do this and we are going to do it. if you're trying to make peace, it will never happen because ultimately that war which is inside that person is going to erupt. 
All right? So the first kind of peace that you need to have in your heart and every one of your friends, everybody with whom you're dealing, you ought to be praying this for him, is that you would have peace with God. He is the one who has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That is between us and God, the Bible says. The picture of the curtain in the, in the temple in Israel being torn in two, the curtain which separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the holy place where they ministered on a daily basis to the holy of holies where only once in a year the priest would enter in, where God met with him. The picture of that curtain tearing in two was that you could come and be at peace and be at one with God. You could be reconciled to him. The middle wall of partition has been broken down, the Bible says. And so there is the peace with God. And let me ask you this question. Do you, have the, do you have peace with God? If you want the peace of God, the first thing you're going to have to do is get peace with God. You're going to have to come to terms with God. Receive Christ by faith as your Savior. Now, when you have peace with God, then as a benefit, you receive the peace of God. And that's a different deal. The peace of God is a supernatural working of God which comes from within you by the work of God's Spirit. It's just supernatural. It's like a river of water, Jesus said, this life which springs up within you. You have the peace of God which passes, the Apostle Paul said, it passes all understanding. It's just peace. And you don't understand. I have visited with so many people who have said, Brother Tom, I always heard about people being at peace during moments of real crisis, and I know I ought to be falling apart, but I have remarkable peace. And over in the corner may be somebody who's gnawing their fingernails and falling apart and screaming and kicking and angry at God. Don't have the peace of God. You have to have peace with God to get the peace of God. But when you have peace with God... In this world, God will give you remarkable peace. So in the middle of the worst storms of your life, you can still know God is running the show. Now, the peace of God which is a peace which comes by knowing that there is nothing in your life that escapes the attention of a sovereign God. So whatever is happening in your life, whatever the circumstances are in your life, God is no stranger to it. And he is at work in it. And you can have the peace that he's in charge. He is running the show. Now, I can tell you when um, in my own life, when I begin evidencing a lack of peace, a troubled heart, when I begin saying things which telegraph failure and finality and, and whining. I tell you, you know, I, looking back across my ministry, I have so much I've had to ask God to forgive me for. Some of it, maybe a whole lot of it right here in this church. You know, who wants to, who wants to be around a whining? Well, you know, maybe this is how that, maybe things are going to, you know, whining, you know, when I, when I whine like that. I, you know what I am? I am a person who has escaped, somehow forgotten that God's running the show. First place, I don't want to be around somebody's whining. Why don't I think anybody want to be around somebody's whining? I mean, he's a God that's in charge. He's a big God. He, he's, nothing sneaks up on him. He's going to work all things together for good. I don't need to complain about that. 
about why it happened, how it happened, what could have happened, what should have happened, the way it ought to be done, that's all irrelevant. God's running the show. God's in charge of it. And so in reality, you just have the peace that comes by knowing nothing's going to get to me that hadn't got to God first. And that gives remarkable peace. And it's supernatural. You don't know how you get it. It's just supernatural, the peace of God. And so the Apostle Paul said, God didn't have to give it. God could, <laughs> listen to this, God could make your trip from the altar where you got saved to heaven a fingernail-biting kind of experience. He could just let you dangle. And I want to tell you something. Listen to this. Religion will rob you of the peace of God. If you don't stay right, you're going to lose your salvation. If you haven't been baptized, you're, going to be saved. you're not going to be saved. If you don't do this, you're going to lose God. You won't go to heaven. See, religion takes the peace of God and robs it from you. But when you receive Jesus Christ, when you have peace with God, you get the peace of God as a side benefit. Thank God for that, for his peace. All right, one other benefit here. Let's look at it very quickly. You receive the prayers of the faithful. Now, I'm not going to tell you that if you're born again, that everybody that was ever born again is praying for you. But I'll tell you what, I have always discovered that out in every congregation, out in every church family, there are people who pray. The prayers of the faithful is one of the things that you receive. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. We give thanks, verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He says, you know, just constantly, it seems like you're on my heart, and I'm constantly praying for you. As I travel around the country, I don't travel that much, but I travel around the country and speak here and there, you know, these conferences or uh, conventions or something like that, I never cease to be amazed at, at the, the people who come out of the woodwork, so to speak, afterwards. You know, here's some just a very uh, unassuming, unpretentious lady. She'll be standing there, you know, uh, Bible in hand and uh, just waiting till everybody, you know, we, I shake hands with people, you know, and we talk about, you know, how good it is to be in their state or in their church. And there'll be somebody standing over there, you know, and uh, when it's all over and they've all gone, she steps forward and she says, uh, Brother Tom, my name is whatever. And you don't know this, but I started praying for you back in 1980. Or I read an article, or I read your book, or I read, and I started praying for you, and not a day has gone by that I have not prayed for you. As a group of men, I thank God for these men. Now, some of them are here tonight, they who pray for me every day week and then some of them in that group pray for me every day and I pray for them. They're high on my list. Some of you all here are on my daily prayer list. Um, praying always. Not everybody prays for everybody. But one of the things that you receive when you receive Christ is you receive people praying for you. Praying for you. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think you come to church let me, let, me give you, let me give you some things that I think people think they come to church for. You know, people would say, obviously, I come to church to worship God. Well, that's, that's good. Somebody else says, well, I come to church because of the Word of God. Well, that's great. By the way, the Word of God is different than an outline of the Word of God. Some people say, well, you know, I've got a, if I got the outline, I've got the message. I come, if I think I'm going to get an outline, that's great. If I don't, it's not great, you know. 
Well, outline has nothing to do with it. That, that, that's part of it. That's like the skeleton. Sometimes it just stays hidden. In my instance, sometimes it stays right out there where you can see uh, the, the outline of a message does. Well, that's good. That's, if you're ordered, and that's okay. That's a good reason to come to church. But, um, but let me tell you another reason, a very important reason that we come to church. We come to church because in the fellowship of what goes on in the church, we're lending our influence to others. They're lending their prayer influence to us, and we are praying. We are praying. And God is a prayer hearing. God is a prayer answering God. And that's why in all of our worship services, we don't just say, well, it's time for the offertory prayer. You know, but we set aside a time. I'm so glad for, that we have on our staff a minister of worship and praise. And Brother Don believes that we need to spend time in prayer. And I, I, I really cringe sometimes. I look up and I see people they'll come in and they've missed the prayer time. I think that's the saddest thing to miss prayer. You know, I mean, just, it, just, just prayer time. Or they won't come to church. They miss church. And, and they'll say, well, you know, I guess I missed a sermon this morning. Yeah, you didn't miss a sermon. I'll tell you what's more important that you miss. You miss worshiping God, but more important than that, you miss that time of prayer when, like incense being offered up in the temple, our prayers from this place ascended before the throne of God, and God heard and God answered. And you know, one of the great joys of being here Sunday after Sunday is the joy of just literally people lined up saying, I want to tell you how God answered my prayer this week. I want to tell you how God answered somebody's prayers this week. I want to tell you how, you know that prayer we've been praying? I want to tell you how God has answered that prayer. That's such an amazing thing. Praying always. And one of the things that you get when you're going to heaven is a praying fellowship. You get prayers of the faithful. Now, not everybody's prayers. Some people don't pray at all. Let's face it. They, they talk about prayer, but they don't pray. But you get the prayers of faithful people. There's not anybody in here that doesn't get some kind of prayer from somebody. Maybe your Sunday school teacher, your preacher, your department director, your outreach leader, your parent, your children, maybe the prayers of somebody in some group that you're in, but you're prayed for. You're prayed for. And you get the prayers of faithful, faithful. If you don't, if you don't get in on it, it's, it's probably your fault because they're there to be had. There's not anybody in this world that we'd ever say, no, sorry, we're not praying for you. You know, most of the times after church, I'll go to my office and there will be somebody seated there who's called for the elders of church to anoint him or to anoint her with oil and to pray in regard to physical sickness. I can't tell you the number of times God has just moved, just moved in a remarkable way. And just the prayers, you see, prayers. And God didn't have to let that be that way. You know what God could do? God could say, ha-ha, you're saved. You're going to heaven. I'm not telling you who you're going with. I'm going to keep that a secret from you. I'm going to let you wander through this earth like a lonely, lonely pilgrim. You'll never know anybody's praying for you. I'm just going to save you. and You're going to get to heaven one day, but life on this earth is going to be a nail-biting experience and you've got nobody to turn to. Now, one of the benefits to being born again, one of the earthly blessings of eternal life is that you receive the prayers of the faithful. By the way, there's three things that turn faithful people on. I mean, they love to pray. When they hear about this in your life, they love to pray about them. Let's look at them right here in the Scripture quickly. This really causes a person who's a Christian to rejoice. All right, first of all, he says, since we heard of your faith, so your faith in Christ, 
When you come to be a Christian, that makes people happy. Tonight, do you know what? There's some of you here who don't have eternal life. You walk down the aisle tonight, you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're going to be happy about it because you're on your way to heaven. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of heaven, the Bible says, so heaven is happy about it. But I just imagine there's a mama or a daddy or a husband or a wife or a son or daughter who's going to have a Holy Ghost runaway fit to hear that you receive Christ as your Savior. They're going to be happy about that. I mean, that is going to thrill them. They'll have to backslide to go to sleep tonight to hear that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That'll just make them happy. I mean, it will thrill. I, I, uh, I picked up a letter. I've gotten some of the most interesting letters since our power team crusade. And uh, I mean, it been just I, thank you notes. And I was a letter from a pastor out at Mustang. Thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. And here's what he said. He said, I, I thought I was going to bring 35 to the crusade. I brought 50. He said, I want you to know that last Sunday, our church baptized 20 people who received Christ at the crusade. Well, you know what I did? I just said, dear Lord, thank you. Bless that church. Bless those people. Keep them right in your will. Just do it for them, God. Just raise them up. I mean, what a vision on a pastor to take his people all the way from Mustang over here to sit in a service. And then, you know, Lord, thank you for that. You just pray. You know, people who are saved love to hear about getting people getting saved. If it doesn't make you happy when people get saved, you ought to check to see if you're saved. Because people getting saved is like a new birth in the family to other people who are saved. And if, if a child can be born again, just like a child being born, if a good child could be born to your family and you not be happy about it, that'd be a strange person to eat. But when people are born again, all of God's people get happy about it. They rejoice. I'm glad I'm in church that claps when people get saved. It's one way. I said, We're, but pray too. Don't just clap. Pray. That makes saved people happy. All right, your fellowship, that makes another thing. That's another thing that makes saved people happy. He says, notice here, he says, uh, since we heard of your faith and the love which you have to all the saints. Now, I, I am not of that school that says that you come to church on Sunday with a singular focus, and that singular focus is just on God, and you're just supposed to go and just sort of isolate yourself, and you're supposed to, to be with God and... Uh, don't, pay, don't shake hands with anybody else. Don't talk to anybody else. Don't fellowship with anybody else. You're just sort of supposed to be with God. Do you know why I think people ought to be at church early? Or at least on time. Do you know why? Because if you're not, you miss out on one of the primary reasons people come to church. You really do. You say, well, I get it my way. Yeah, but you don't, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get everything. You're missing it. You have your influence. People who are in your circle of friends, they're watching. Well, you know, she doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. I don't guess I need to do that. But more than that, you have an opportunity to fellowship with one another. We provide opportunities to fellowship with one another. Wonderful. You say, well, no, once we walk through the door, all fellowship is over. Says who? Where is that in the Scripture? Man, I tell you what, if you would read the historical records of the early Christian church, for instance, Josephus, he said, these Christians, these people are absolutely amazing. He says, one will meet one on the street. They'll start talking with each other. Pretty soon another one will come over. Pretty soon one will stand up and start preaching. Pretty soon a crowd gathers. Pretty soon they're singing hymns. These are strange people indeed, these Christians. Well, we sure are. 
And when we come to church, I mean, don't you, you know, how many times would you go to a doctor if every time you went to the doctor, he says, hmm, tell you what, you're sick. You're ugly too, but you're sick. And you're, and you're not going to improve, and this is a bad deal, and I don't really see any hope for you, and this is terrible, and, and I wanted you to, you know, pay up at the window and come back next week, and, and I'm going to tell you again how sick you are, and terrible you are, and how awful you are, and how miserable your life's going to be, and how poor you're getting, paying me, and pay up at the window and come back next week, and I'm going to just tell you this is terrible, and don't speak to anybody in the waiting room on the way out. I don't want them to get what you got. You're so ugly and so sick. How many times did you go back to a physician like that? Hey, I want to tell you something. Sometimes I feel so sorry for people because I think that's what they get at their church. I, you know, they must because they are so, they're so amazed. They come to First Southern, they say, these people love each other. You know, and, and I, I feel sometimes, I think that it's not, you're not supposed to tell the preacher that you enjoyed the sermon. Now, you know, I, you know, preacher, don't misunderstand me, but I, I, you know, I know I'm supposed to have hated that and it's supposed to really hurt me, but I, I actually sort of like that sermon, you know. I know it's a sin to like that sermon. Says who? Why do we have this idea that every time we kind of come to church, we've got to look like we had an inoculation with pickle juice, went home, took a bath in lemon juice. Mmm, this is terrible. This is a wonderful, exciting Christian life, and I bet I can be even more miserable next week. Paul said, I love you folks. You, you love each other. You love each other. There's not anything you wouldn't do for each other. I can say the same thing. There is a love for all the saints. When you see somebody who's saved, you love that person. It doesn't make a difference what they're wearing. doesn't make a difference whether they have education or no education. doesn't make a difference what they do. All, the only thing that, 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 boy, I mean, the Jesus in them is communicating with the Jesus in you. You have a love for all the saints. And so one of the reasons I think we ought to be in church is for fellowship, for fellowship. And I tell you what, you'll miss fellowship if you, you know, it is so easy, isn't it, to, we have our fellowship groups, you know, everybody. Hey, listen, don't get off on people who, you know, they say, well, we have these friends and we like to do this or we like to do that. Uh, I mean, you do the same. You know, you have your friends. You, have, you say, well, in a church, all the barriers ought to be broken down. That's what happens. The moment. We're in here. I mean, it all ought to just fade away and ought to be just people loving people who love Jesus. And you know another thing? Since one of the things that makes us excited about people getting saved, we, and I don't know how to say this. Y'all help me by understanding what I'm about to say because I'm not about to say that you're not the most important. But a church that, that understands that it's a big deal for people to get saved and a church that has love for all the saints. So the people that are going to get saved are people that you're going to love. You know what? We ought to treat, now I don't, I don't misunderstand me, we ought to treat unsaved people as slightly more important at the moment than saved people. Does that, does that make sense to you what I'm saying here? Well, well, I'll just sort of say, you know, ooh, man, this person doesn't know Christ. I'm so glad you're here. Great. We're going we're gonna to love you. And, you know, we're going to go out of our way to, to let you know that we love you. So we pray, when we pray, faithful people pray. They pray happy that you got saved. They pray happy that you love other Christians for your fellowship. And then another thing that we pray about is our future, right? Notice what he says here. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. When I pray about you, I thank God that you're going to heaven. I want to tell you something. If you don't cultivate fellowship on earth, I mean, if they're actually people as believers in Christ and you're put out with them and you ostracize with them, and you don't go out of your way to love them, or you separate from them, 
How do you think you're going to feel in heaven when those people arrive at the same time you do to spend the same amount of time, which is forever, you're going to spend? They're going to be in heaven forever. And you look at that person, you say, I didn't think you were going to make it. And they say to you, guess what? I didn't think you had a prayer. Well, I didn't treat you very well. Guess what? I know it. Well, we're going to be here forever. Are there fights in heaven? Mm -mm. Now, folks, listen. Do you get the picture of the kind of atmosphere that we ought to have in church where people are just loving each other for your faith, loving each other because of the fellowship we have, and loving each other because we know we're going to get to do this forever perfectly in heaven? Isn't that a wonderful thought? I mean, we just get to do it forever perfectly in heaven. Paul cannot write even dear Colossians without spilling over with all these earthly benefits for eternal life. You've got a purpose in the future. You've got a place in the family. You've got power for the battle. <laughs> Just look at the fellowship that you have. You have the you have the most wonderful fellowship one with the other. You, you have peace with the brethren, if you want to say it that way. And then, look at this. You have a, a wonderful promise for the future. And you have the prayers of, the, prayers of the faithful. I tell you, I, I can't imagine wanting to be anything. I, I, would, I wouldn't want to be a member of any club uh, that could offer me anything better than what uh, Jesus offers because there's not one. And I wouldn't want to be anything other than a Christian, first, foremost. That other stuff is interesting, it's fun. You can be a part of it, I can be a part of it, but it's not essential. What's essential is knowing Christ as Savior. And these are the earthly benefits of your eternal life. Would you bow your head? While your head is bowed, would you stand, please? Heads are bowed. We're standing. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And Father, my prayer right now is a prayer that your Holy Spirit will just uh, stir our hearts, change us, help us to see. Help us to see all that we have in Jesus. Help us to see all that we receive in this earth when we trust in Christ as our Savior. Lord, what a blessing it is to know you to have the peace of the Father, to have the prayers of the faithful. And Lord, I pray now at this invitation time that you'd bring people to this altar, some to say yes to Christ, others to become a part of this church, some simply to pray and say, Lord, thank you, thank you for all that you've provided for me on this earth. Others who come responding, Lord, to other issues that you have addressed in their life tonight in this service and that somehow amazingly supernatural way that you do it, answering our need. And so, Father, we're trusting you at this invitation time just to bring glory to yourself, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and our counselors are here at the front at this altar. Let me just say that if you've joined our church in recent weeks, or maybe even in the service tonight, you were baptized, and we've not introduced you to your church family since you were baptized or since you joined. I'm going to ask you to come even now 
and just be seated over here where it says seating for new members. Over here to my left and to your right, and some are already coming, and others are coming to visit with counselors, and God bless you as you do that. Amen. I believe there are people in this congregation tonight who, who need to join this church, who ought to join this church, who could just be the most wonderful thing in the world for your life to join this church. These counselors will meet you. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask you, we'll need some counselors right over here as well, if you will, please. Right, that's it. God bless you. All right. And the greatest thing would be for you just to come be a part of this church family. And I would encourage you tonight, we begin singing this chorus, Change My Heart, O God. Will you just step to the aisle and make your way forward? Some are coming even now. Find a counselor and say, look, this is what I want to do. We want to join the church. I want to join the church. You may be alone tonight. Your loneliness is over. I mean, this is a family for you. You may be here with your family. Bring your family to be a part of this church. That's the first thing you ought to do. Nail it down where you're going to serve God, all right? And I'd urge you to make that decision. If you do not have peace with God, and there are people here, because there always are in every service, people do not have peace with God. And what you need is peace with God. Then I want to encourage you to come and receive Christ as your Savior tonight. Would you do that? Just come and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Receive him as the Lord of your life tonight in this service at this time. Open your heart to him. Just come tell one of these counselors who are here at the front, look, I want to trust Jesus.